crossroads of empires, battleground of the ages, city of peace and of war. This is Jerusalem, where archaeology uncovers the empires of yesterday, where prophecy decodes the headlines of today. This is where history and prophecy come alive. This is Watch Jerusalem. Hello and welcome to Watch Jerusalem. I'm Brent Noctegal coming to you today from Jerusalem, Israel. Thank you very much for listening. Thanks very much for Christopher Eames taking the program last week, talking about uh, the lost tribe of Asher being the nation of Belgium. If that interests you, I do suggest that you go and listen to that program from last week. It is a continuation of his series on the lost tribes, and that really does help in your understanding of biblical prophecy and is essential for your understanding of biblical prophecy. Today I'm going to be talking about something that took place 100 years ago from today. And really, although it's not dwelt upon that much, uh, the San Remo Conference and the accords that came out of that really did enshrine the Jewish state's uh, foundation in international law. And we're going to go through an article. It's entitled uh, San Remo, the Original Deal of the Century by Yeshai Fleischer. And um, we'll read through this or part of it. And then we're going to look at some of the context behind it. And I'm just struck in going through this history at how much the, the Jews were given going back 100 years by what looks like um, international consensus that they should have the national homeland here in all of the the lands that were promised to them anciently in the Bible, even going into the Transjordan or modern-day Jordan, that's what was agreed to back then. And contrast that with the modern history, modern history starting, let's say, with the Oslo Accords and then continuing to this current day where we have a new peace deal on the table, a new deal of the century, where you have a U.S. president that is very favorable towards the Jewish state, and yet the best that he can do, the best that he can do is agree that Israel should receive, the Jewish state should receive 30%, 30% of Judea and Samaria, this or the West Bank, part of this, the biblical heartland of, of the Israelite nation. And that is considered a win or a victory. And compared to previous administrations of the United States and uh, definitely the international opinion, which is against even that, um, you know, that, that, is a, that is a big deal. But going back 100 years and the favor that the Jews received, it was completely out of the ordinary. And as I've covered before once on this program, talking about the Belfort Declaration that led to what would happen at San Remo, as we'll get to, it was a, a brief window of time that was opened up where the tide was right uh, for the Jews under the, le- the leadership of Heim Wiseman to be able to really reach out to the British Empire as the glow of its empire diminishes during the First World War and and gift this land of, of Palestine, the historic homeland of the, of the Jewish and Israelite peoples, uh, back to the Jews. That was absolutely stunning and, and miraculous. And the San Remo Conference coming out of that is is also like that. And yet, what we've seen through time is the gradual diminishment of the land of Israel that the Jews control. And why is that? What's happened? And why is international opinion so much against the Jewish people? 
in terms of the land that the world believes they should have. If you go back 100 years, you certainly did have Arabs living in this land. Um, but you know, the breakup of, of the whole region after World War I saw many Arab states created and one Jewish state, or to be a Jewish state, Jewish homeland at first. Of course, you had these states. None of them would be uh, independent at the beginning in the breakup of uh, after World War I, after the Ottoman Empire was, was demolished. You had a number of different mandates that were given to the great powers, and they would look, look after them. And inside that, you would have mandatory Palestine or mandatory Syria, and that would be looked after the, uh, the, the French, and Palestine was awarded to the British, which in itself is, is miraculous. And because of the, 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 uh, the fact that the Brits were going to be supportive of a Jewish homeland here. Um, but there was, there was this div, uh, dividing of the land, and part of the policy was that the indigenous peoples that, that lived there or that had historic claim to these lands would be given those lands, and that would be safeguarded by the international community. And that would be enshrined in international law through the San Remo Conference. And the Jewish state was, or the Jewish homeland at this point, was just a part of that. And then over time, over time, these areas and these, these mandated areas, they would gain independence. It was this bridge. The mandate period was meant to be a bridge to, towards sovereign independence for these peoples, be it the different Arab states that would be created and the Jewish state that would be created. But how far we've come from that, we have basically invented a race of people that never exist called the Palestinians. It's interesting if you go back and, and read through all the docu- all the all the, the writings from a hundred years ago, you'll see the term Palestinian used, but it was used to to talk about the Jews. And Palestine is the territory, but it, it's just a geographic term as it's used. Or if you talk about Palestinians, it's talking about mainly the Jews. Of course, the Arab population lived here as well, but they weren't a separate nationality, and and it was important in the documents that were written at San Remo and also in the Belfort Declaration in 1917 that there was no claim that was meant to be given to the the Arab populations of of this area. They had rights to the same civil uh, laws and and their, their religious practices could be continued, but there was nothing in those documents that was agreed upon again by the world powers unanimously that there were to be national aspirations for an Arab population inside the mandate uh, that was given to the Brits for the Jews. That wasn't the intent of the Balfour Declaration in 1917. And that wasn't the intent of the San Remo Conference and even the conference that took place a couple of years after that by the League of Nations that basically said, yes, go for it. Go for it, Britain. This is your area. And uh, this is going to be a homeland for the Jews. Now, after this point, there was the gradual diminishing uh, of the land that was originally promised to the Jewish people, even though you had massive Arab states everywhere and, and you do have differences among the Arabs, but... Um, but not that much between the Arab, let's say the Arabs and Arab Palestinians that we call Palestinians today. It would have been much easier for them if they wanted to join the Arab states that were around them. I mean, Jordan was a creation after the San Remo Conference, 
Actually, the territory that was going to be given to the Jews was divided by 70%, and that was given to Jordan. That was created as the Transjordan and given to Arabs over there. That was a land that was originally going to be part of the Jewish homeland. And so right off the bat, after San Remo, some of that land was divvied up in a deal um, that we're not going to talk to uh, talk about today. But just think of the contrast. What's happened in the past hundred years? You certainly can't blame Jewish actions over the past hundred years. They've done as much as they could to build up the land of Israel. I'm reading through Chaim Weizmann's um, uh, autobiography now, and, and I'm just impressed by the amount of work that the Jewish people put into this land uh, through the the early 1900s. We tend to focus on 1948, the establishment of the Jewish state, the sovereignty being declared. And really, that was just that was just the end of the mandate period of the Brits. And so, you know, what's going to happen after that? Well, the Jews aren't going to give up the land that they've been working and investing in. And especially, of course, after what we saw take place in, in World War II, this was seen as a safety a safety for the future of the Jews that could, in some ways, prevent, well, wouldn't prevent, uh, let's say, mass anti-Semitism, but at least the Jews would have somewhere to go. And 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 so that obviously was an important, uh, momentous day in May of 1948 for their independence. But it wasn't like the Jewish people just showed up after World War II and had to come somewhere after the Holocaust and they picked this pot of land. The Jews had been here for millennia, and had had a majority inside Jerusalem for a long, long time before this. And they'd been working up the land under the period of the British Mandate and even before the World War uh, World War I um, under the Ottomans. And they'd been purchasing land here and in their homeland and, and building it up. And then once the Belfort Declaration is given, then they have, and, and the San Remo Conference confirms that, then international opinion is that they should live here and that they should build up the land and the Arab population, they're not going to have a national aspiration in this land. It's going to be the land for the Jews. That was agreed upon by all parties. And even the Arab response at the time was favorable to this. Of course, you had some local Arab populations inside the land that didn't, that didn't like it. They were stirred up for a number of reasons, and a lot of them anti-Semitic at that point. But in terms of, you know, what's a fair deal after the breakup of the Ottoman Empire uh, between world, world powers and local inhabitants and who should live where and what land is going to go to who, remember, this was Turkish land, Turkish land before then, you had the establishment of multiple Arab states and one Jewish state, and that was deemed fair, even by the Arab populate, even by the Arab leadership. There's one really famous letter uh, that I do want to read just at the outset here before we get to the San Remo conference. And you're probably very familiar with this letter. Uh, this is, it's recorded in Heim Wiseman's book in his autobiography. It's recorded in full because it just shows what the Arab leadership thought at the time. And Faisal, he was basically represented the Arab world. He would eventually get power over over the Transjordan. He's writing to dear, um, he's writing to Mr. Frankfurter, which I believe he was on the U.S. Supreme Court at the time. This is March third, nineteen nineteen, two years after or a year and a half after Belfour, just after the First World War, and then just before San Remo, which is going to affirm the the Jewish homeland 
in the area of Palestine. Maybe I could just read what that affirmed. This is the San Remo Accord from uh, April, April 2020. Uh, sorry, April 1920. It says this, quote, The mandatory should be responsible for putting into effect the declaration originally made on November 2nd, 1917 by the government of His, Majesty, His Britannic Majesty and adopted by the said powers in favor of the establishment in Palestine of a national home for the Jewish people. That's what it says. It's going to be a national home of the Jewish people and the Brits, you're going to be responsible at making sure that happened, which even that, even that didn't really happen as as history as history brings out soon after this point you had a lot of the leadership change in britain and the leadership on the ground that didn't weren't really fair that favored the arab arab cause that were there inside the land but here i go i'm going to read this letter and this is again uh from faisal and uh he is writing to u.s supreme court zionist uh, mr frankfurter and this is what he says. This is just before San Remo. And just think about an Arab leader writing this today and what it would mean. The only thing that's close to this, I think, is Anwar Sadat's 1977 speech, 77 to 78 speech inside the Knesset. It's somewhat similar to this language. But here we go at the very birth of the modern Jewish homeland. And this is what the leader of the Arab world said. I want to take this opportunity of my first contact with American Zionists to tell you what I have been able to say to Dr. Wiseman in Arabia and Europe. And so he had had contacts with Chaim Wiseman quite a lot uh, before this time. And this is what he continues to write. We feel that the Arabs and Jews are cousins in race suffering similar oppressions at the hands of powers stronger than themselves, and by a happy coincidence have been able to take the first steps towards the attainment of their national ideals together. <laughs> I mean, they were going to get their states, uh, the Turks are gone, the Arabs were, and here the Jews are going to get their state. This is great. We're cousins. Let's embark on this together. We Arabs, especially the educated among us, look with the deepest sympathy on the Zionist movement. Our deputation here in Paris is fully acquainted with the proposals submitted by the Zionist organization at the peace conference, and we regard them as moderate and proper. That is, for them to control these territories. We will do our best insofar as we are concerned to help them through. We will wish the Jews a most hearty welcome home. Imagine that. Wouldn't that be a breath of fresh air today to see an Arab leader that says, welcome home, welcome home, this is your home. Who acknowledges that today? The letter continues, with the chiefs of your movement, especially with Dr. Wiseman, we have had and continue to have the closest relations. He has been a great helper of our cause, and I hope the Arabs may soon be in a position to make the Jews... Uh, some return for their kindness. We are working together for a reformed and revived Near East, and our two movements complete one another. The Jewish movement is national and not imperialistic. <laughs> Can you see that? That's 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 uh, that's Faisal, Prince Faisal, uh, uh, representing the Arab world, the voice of the Arab world, and says that we acknowledge that your movement is national 
but it's not imperialistic. We know you're happy with those boundaries. We know you're happy and you're not going to try and uh, take over our lands. Then he writes, there is room in Syria for both of us. Again, this entire region called Syria at the time. Indeed, I think neither can be a real success without the other. What amazing comments here. People less informed and less responsible than our leaders, ignoring the need for cooperation of the Arabs and Zionists, have been trying to exploit the local differences that must necessarily arise in Palestine in the early stages of our movements. Some of them have, I'm afraid, misrepresented your claims to the Arab peasantry and our aims to the Jewish peasantry, with the result that interested parties have been able to make capital out of what they call our differences. And so he's saying there's miseduc- miseducation getting down to the local people, and they do see an influx of these, these pe- new people, as they would see it, or many new people, in terms of Jewish immigration and working the lands, and they think that this is the end of, uh, end of their land when there's no such thing. They would just be inside the Jewish homeland, having full rights that any other citizen would have inside this territory. But there were some that were trying to exploit those differences or the misunderstandings there. I wish to give you my firm conviction that these differences are not on questions of principle, but on matters of detail, such as must inevitably occur in every contact with neighboring peoples and are as easily dissipated by mutual goodwill. Indeed, nearly all of them will disappear with fuller knowledge. I look forward, and my people with me look forward, to a future in which we will help you and you will help us, so that the countries in which we are mutually interested may once again take their place in the community of civilized peoples of the world. Yours sincerely, Faisal. I'm so happy that that letter was written, because it represents what the Arab thought was to, a, to the Jews having their land here. And land, a big chunk of land at this point, on, to the other side of the Jordan, from the Great Sea, the Mediterranean, across the Jordan River, all the way up the Dan, and all the way down to the border of Egypt, close to the border of Egypt. That was the land that was given, given to them that the the Brits had a mandate over that was going to look after for the Jewish people, that was going to midwife this process before they got to the birth of their state, being strong enough with the institutions set up and having the economic and agricultural uh, prowess to have a state, after which it would become the Jewish state. That That was the goal. And yet, as time's gone on, as time's gone on, we have seen that that state has become smaller and smaller more maligned, more attacked, and nobody remembers this history. They think that the the Jews are some occupying power in this territory where you go back a hundred years and the world agrees that they should be a state and have a Jewish state here. And this is going to be a Jewish state, not by democratic right or not by democracy, not meaning that just because there's more Jews there, it's going to be a Jewish state. This was deemed to be a Jewish state, even if the Jews are going to be the minority here. That is the character of of the state. That is what the world agreed to a hundred years ago. And so when you read about how 
today that the Jews are a foreign force from 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 Europe coming in to settle and take the land of other people, other nations, other national home, another national homeland. That's simply false. And perhaps that's the reason why we don't hear about the San Remo Conference that much. We just hear about if you're educated in the West and you're educated in the Middle East, it's probably even more different. But if you're educated in the, in the, in the, in the West, you pretty much believe the Jewish state was established as a response to the Holocaust and the world felt bad for the Jews. And so it gave them some land. It gave them a little bit of land over here and took land away from other people and gave it to the Jews. And that's just absolutely false, just hideously false. It's not true to history. Not even talking about the biblical claim that the Jews have to this land and the fact that they've, they have been here more than any other people throughout history. But that's not focused on at all. And, and if what happened in the Bible's time or even what happened before World War II, and when people do focus on the Balfour Declaration of 1917, they might focus on like that for a moment, like they did back in 2017 uh, when the 100th anniversary of that came up. But you remember at the time there was this huge PR campaign by the Arabs, by the Europeans, by others trying to discredit uh, or trying to call on the Brits to disavow the Balfour Declaration from 100 years ago. Showing, telling them and showing the world as they would say that you were an occupier back then, you were into colonialism, and what you did here in Palestine was just another one of your colonial exploits that the educator of the world today tell us was a horrible thing and it needs to be repented of. But why didn't they follow up that with discussing how the whole world was a part of this? It wasn't just the British. It was the whole world that agreed to what took place Three, few, three years earlier with the Balfour Declaration. Why didn't Mahmoud Abbas, instead of complaining about uh, England's colonial movements and the establishment of a uh, Jewish state, why didn't he go back to what Faisal said two years after Balfour Declaration and said that we know that you don't have a colonialist, imperialist goal? Jews, we know that. We know that you have national aspirations, as do we. And this is what the San Remo Accords really did dictate that uh, dictate to the world. This is this article again, the original deal of the century by Yeshai Fleischer. He writes this, 100 years ago this week, the British Balfour Declaration, which recognized the Jewish rights to the land of Israel, became international law. The Allies, the countries that defeated the Ottoman Empire in World War I, gathered in San Remo, Italy in late April 1920 to carve up the Middle East, basing their outlook on Woodrow Wilson's principle of self-determination. They set, uh, they set out to establish new would-be countries through a mentoring program called Mandates. The Arabs, now free of the Turks, would get Syria, Lebanon, Mesopotamia, which was Iraq. The Jews would get Palestine. And again, Palestine back then uh, refers to the Jews, or this area that was going to be uh, for the Jews. Uh, and then it talks about how the Balfour Declaration was included in the San Remo Accord, as I read earlier. Then he writes this, This decision was soon unanimously ratified by 56 member states of the League of Nations and later became part of the United Nations Charter, thus paving the way for the third Jewish Commonwealth reborn on its ancestral soil after 2,000 years. 
And so then he goes through a bit more of this history, a bit more of what was happening in the region at the time with other places getting their, uh, other, other peoples getting their states as well, or their mandates. Further down, he writes this, For those who argue that San Remo is the international legal basis for the creation of Israel, the agreement stands for an unabashed recognition of the historic Jewish rights in the land of Israel and the stated goal of reconstituting a Jewish commonwealth. The text of the Mandate for Palestine, which was the 1922 document that put the resolutions of the San Remo into practice, is straightforward. It says this, quote, Whereas recognition has thereby been given to the historical connection of the Jewish people with Palestine and to the grounds for reconstituting their national home in that country. That's what was agreed upon by the League of Nations, the forerunner uh, to the United Nations. This is going to be their homeland. Jewish people living in Palestine, that's their homeland. He continues, at the San Remo conference, delegates never contemplated giving Palestine to the Arabs. The absurd idea of taking Judea away from the Jews and creating an Arab state there. Nobody thought about doing that. That would be absurd. Why? For the delegates, giving Syria, Lebanon, and Iraq to the Arabs, and giving the Jews their historic and biblical land was equitable enough. This was in line with the Wilsonian self-determination doctrine. Indigenous peoples would gain independence from, their, from former empires and govern themselves. Indeed, no one was about to give recognition to the imperialistic Islamic conquest of the 7th century, nor to the 400-year Ottoman domination which the Allies have just terminated. The text of the mandate is clear on the issue of land division. And again, this was not just a British thing. This was agreed upon by the League of Nations, ratified. 56 members of them. 56 member states. The text of the mandate is clear on the issue of land division. Quote, The mandatory shall be responsible for seeing that no Palestinian, Palestine territory, and that's meaning Jewish territory, shall be ceded or leased to or in any way placed under the control of the government of any foreign power. It's just going to be theirs. The mandate people, who is the British in this case, they're going to look after it. They're going to govern it as well. And gradually, it's going to be entrusted to the Jewish people once they can um, be off by themselves. And then it says this, Indeed, original Israel, as recognized by San Remo, crafted into international law, was going to be a big Jewish state, surrounded by newly freed and even bigger Arab states. That was the vision. That was the vision to come out of San Remo. And it happened, it seemed, for maybe a year or two. And then there was some pretty big changes. He writes this in the three years between San Remo, San Remo and the League of Nations ratification of the accords in 1923, the British utilized a legal loophole to strip away 77% of the mandate for a Jewish Palestine and gift it to the leaders of the Hashemite clan. <clears throat> Hashemites over in Transjordan. This was the creation of Transjordan, which was later renamed the Kingdom of Jordan. For many years, we have been told by the UN proponents that there is no Middle East peace because there is no Arab Palestine. Again, that's what we've heard. And that's why, you know, there has been no agreement among the Arabs. Not until there's a Palestinian state is there going to be peace between Arabs and Jews, all Arabs and all Jews. But that wasn't the case. That wasn't the case back here, back during this time. For many years, we've been told that the UN proponents by the UN proponents that there is no Middle East because there is no Arab Palestine. They want us to avert our eyes from the fact that the Kingdom of Jordan 
created on the land originally intended for the Jewish state, is actually an Arab Palestine, but one which refuses to absorb the Palestinians. Although I would say that Jordan has done a pretty good job at absorbing Palestinians. They're one of the few where Palestinians are actually um, allowed to be citizens. In some other Arab countries where, the Jew, where a lot of Arabs that left in 1948, um, they're still not Arab citizens. They're held hostage by some Arab states because they want them to, they want them to this to still be an issue, the issue of, of Arab refugees that, that fled from Israel's War of Independence. Uh, back in 1948. Now I just want to conclude this article. It says here, We are in the era of the Trump administration's deal of the century with Israeli sovereignty over the Jewish communities of Judea and Samaria slated to become a reality. And yet for some, the goal of an Arab-Palestinian state on Jewish land persists. It would behoove us now to remember the original deal of the century, the San Remo Accords, signed exactly 100 years ago, which recognized and confirmed Jewish historical national rights to the land of Israel and equitably divided up the Middle East into a strong Jewish state uh, neighbored by strong Arab states. In that deal of the century, Israel was meant to be big, defensible, and Jewish by character, or by charter, sorry, not just by majority. And there were many Arabs ready to accept it and respect it. It just it just boggles my mind reading that letter, and that's why I wanted to read it out in full. By the Arab, leader of the Arab world at the time, uh, a year before the San Remo conference, welcoming Israel, or the Jews, into the Middle East, saying we're in this together, and I think that we can't succeed without each other. We're going to have to work together, is what an Arab leader said. It's like a moment. There was a moment here in history where the Arabs and the Jews got along, recognizing that they're branches of the same family, and just individually now, families grown large. Families grown large, that's what nations are. And there was mutual goodwill at the very beginning of that, but that that really did not last. The conclusion says this, final chapter, final paragraph. As we celebrate Israeli independence this year, let us cast off the contrived UN narrative in which Israel was born into the inevitability of two states. 100 years ago, the framers of San Remo laid down common sense principles that, with implementation, can still become the real deal of the century. How far we have come when the deal of the century today ends up giving away lots of the biblical heartland of the Jewish people. And this is President Trump's deal. I think that many Israelis that support the deal don't believe it will be fully implemented because Israel gets 30% of the West Bank straight up. It gets all the, if they want them, all of the Jewish settlements inside the, the Judea and Samaria as part of the, the, the Jewish state. And then I, I guess most people believe that the, the Arabs are not going to live up to their side of the bargain over the next four years and so that they won't receive their their portion of the land but it's just really incredibly dangerous it's incredibly dangerous to go ahead and and agree to part of this deal hoping and believing that the palestinians uh won't come through with their end of the deal and they won't receive their land and so at least we'll get 30 percent. at least we'll get the jordan valley and at least we'll get uh, different communities inside the West Bank, at least we'll get Jerusalem. It sounds good, but what happens if the Palestinians do come around in the next three or four years? 
What happens if President Trump is able to get them to make some changes? These changes won't be changes of the heart. No one really expects that. But what happens if it gets to the point where Israel is pressured then to allow for a viable Palestinian state backed and supported by the United States? And there'll be no wiggle room at that point because Israel was already have already taken their spoils. They've already accepted their 30%. Don't think that President Trump isn't going to increase the pressure on Israel to accept whatever changes the Palestinians make as enough so that he can get his deal of the century. Now, this is, this is dangerous because you are, Israel is still thinking about and contemplating giving land for peace. Land for peace. This is land that God gave, that God gave to the Jewish people. The miracles that were involved in the Balfour Declaration, the miracles that were involved in how the British actually took over uh, the, the whole strip of land here from the Turks, and this the, the, the living miracle to see how the, the land was changed and developed back through the 20s and 30s and 40s and 50s, and then the miraculous victories that God gave the Jewish nation in 1948, 67, and even in Yom Kippur. And then to see Israel negotiate away the land that was given to them by God by virtue of his miracles for, for a piece of paper that has a promise of peace on it, that's, that's incredibly, incredibly dangerous. But as we look to biblical prophecy to guide us through what is actually going to happen, um, there's, there's great significance in the fact that the next six months of this emergency government underneath Prime Minister Netanyahu can only really focus on uh, dealing with corona and also moving forward the, the deal of the century, moving towards annexation and sovereignty over 30% of the West Bank. This is important because it means that the peace deal is going to take center stage. These peace negotiations are going to take center stage over the next years. And this is exactly what biblical prophecy does say is going to happen. There is a prophecy found over in the book of Hosea. Hosea chapter 5 and verse 13. And it talks about how Judah is going to finally awaken to its wound. And Judah, of course, is the nation of Israel today in biblical in, in prophetic terms. And they're going to finally be awakened to this dangerous deal, this this this, as it says there, this wound, where if you look at more of the Hebrew words there, it's talking about how this wound is created because they think it's going to solve a problem. When this humanly devised solution, which is the peace process, actually creates a wound that cannot be healed by man. It cannot be solved by man. And as that prophecy brings out, Israel, the nation of Judah, or the nation of Israel today, is going to end up going to Assyria for help. Who's biblical Assyria? Well, it doesn't go to the United States for help. Assyria isn't the United States in that prophecy. And so why is it? I'm just speculating at this, at this point, but perhaps it is because the United States is the one that's pushing them at that point to follow through on what they said that they would do as part of this peace deal. But perhaps at that point, Israel says we can't do it. We can't accept the rest of the peace deal that we agreed to here in 2020 when we took and accepted 30% of the West Bank. This, these, this peace process 
is not going to be finished with Israel claiming 30% of the West Bank as their sovereign territory. It will go on. That's what Bible prophecy says. And it's going to be cre- create a deeper and deeper wound for the state of Israel to help them recognize where their only source of help can come from. There's only one source that can heal this wound uh, for the state of Israel. And if you want to read more about this and the prophetic insight that leads us to this conclusion, please go ahead and read our article that was written by our editor-in-chief, Mr. Gerald Flurry on Watch Jerusalem. It's entitled, Will the Trump Peace Plan Bring Peace to Israel? That's all we have time for today. Thank you very much for listening in. If you'd like to send some feedback, you can send your emails to letters at watchjerusalem.co.il. Thank you again for listening, and I'll talk to you next week.